0: So what is the truth about cats and dogs?
1: Uh, Well, I like to believe the truth. Well, now I'm going to get into sad territory. I was going to say I think that they're friends like Milo and Otis, but then I remembered how they made that movie Milo and Otis.
0: Oh, I loved Milo and Otis when I was a kid. That was probably, you know, we're talking about animal movies today, if you haven't guessed. Um, But that was one of my favorite kids' movies as I was growing up um, before I learned its tragic history. Although, I mean, I watched that scene as a kid of that cat going over the waterfall maybe like dozens of times. But it never registered to me that... Of course, this film crew did this multiple times to multiple kittens to get the shot. Me as a toddler was just thinking, oh my God, what a crazy adventure they're sending Milo on.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. I watched the movie a bunch as a kid and I never once thought at any point would an animal actually be in danger.
0: Were you disturbed by the live births in Milo and Otis? I feel like there were several live animal birth scenes.
1: Oh, I don't remember that part.
0: You don't remember when Milo and Otis have their children literally on the same day, practically?
1: Oh, yeah. No, you're right. That does ring a bell now that you say it.
0: And you literally see the tiny baby pugs coming out.
1: I don't I don't remember. I I must have blocked that specific event out of my memory because I remember the scene. I remember, yeah, that 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 happens, but I don't remember how it happens.
0: This is an interesting division between us. You (laughs) blocked it out and it's burned into my memory forever.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, there was a the, the only thing I remembered about Alligator was the pool scene. And that was burned into my memory forever as a young child. That is a terrifying, (laughs) terrifying moment.
0: Very nice. Shall we get into it? Let's do it. necromancer Necromancer. i'm shira i'm a rom-com fan
1: i'm brett i'm a horror movie fan
0: and together each week we get um i was about to say together each week we (laughs) get together so i mean you know this is a process it's happening live right in front of you but brett chooses a horror movie i choose a rom-com We make each other watch those movies, and then we remix them, and we turn them into the opposite genre. We're going to take this story of a killer alligator and turn it into a precious (laughs) rom-com. And then take the truth about cats and dogs and kill
1: everyone. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much.
0: And today's episode is about animals, movies featuring animal stars. Do you are, are you a fan of animal movies? Or are you mad about them generally? It seems no. like you have a you have a thing for animal movies.
1: Yeah, I like animal movies. I like movies about bad animals. I like movies about good animals. Uh the thing that I hate, of course, like any other rational non-serial killer human being is I hate when the animals die in the end, except for like an alligator, you know, or a jaws. I mean, yeah, they can die because it's just a silly movie and they're the bad guys, even though they're misunderstood. But, you know, like the dog in Rogue didn't need to see that happen.
0: That dog definitely needed it did not need to die, nor did it need a name like Kevin.
1: Kevin, yeah. Kevin didn't need to die on screen. That was just a series of bad choices.
0: That was terrible. But so but when you say that you don't want the animal to die, I for a second I thought you meant that you don't want the killer animal to die either. Like oh, you no. want Jaws to live. You want Ramon to live.
1: No, I want them to die for sure. But then as a like as a kid, I really got into sharks because of Jaws. I really got into alligators because of this movie. I really got into giant squid because of the TV movie. The Beast, which was written based on a Peter Benchley novel who wrote Jaws. And so, like, I really got into sea life and I really liked it. So I realized pretty quickly that, like, oh, yeah, these animals aren't bad. But in the movie, in the movie, they gots to go.
0: They got to go. I mean, I wrote down in my notes once again human meat is just delicious. I feel like every single movie we've watched has tried to tell me, whether overtly or subtextually, that humans are just delicious. And I don't know. I don't buy it. I don't think human meat tastes that good.
1: I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it depends on Cannibals how you
0: Cannibals chime in.
1: Um, yeah, but how about you? Do you have any relation to animals in movies? Is there any specific one that comes to mind?
0: You know, I I never really got into movies like Black Beauty oh, or... Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, I watched *Homeward Bound* and *Milo and Otis*, and and I and I've seen some of the animal thrillers and and horror movies, like the one where. Oh wait, we discussed this isn't a movie about the crit killer crocodile, but there is a movie where Arnold shoots a crocodile and says that it's luggage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean. I I kind of feel ambivalent about them in a weird way. And I could never get into Moby Dick or Mm. any of those books where, uh, or, or storylines where it's about the triumph over an animal, um, You know, although I will say I really liked an animal movie that you showed me a while back, which was um, Kong Skull Island, which is fantastic.
1: Yeah, that Uh, movie's way better than I ever would have thought it would have been.
0: It, it might be the best action animal movie uh, that's out there. Um, amazing kills, amazing everything. And I feel like for me, it comes down to the level at which the animal is just an animal, or it's some kind of metaphor for man versus nature. And the sort of you know unstoppable force and ambivalence of nature um but the more it's just about an animal (laughs) the less i'm interested i i guess i'm i'm an intellectual brett i want i want my animals to be symbolic
1: Oh, uh do you like the animals that can talk are you a mr ed fan
0: uh no that never really did it for me
1: no yeah me neither um yeah, I'm curious. It sounds like we're kind of already dipping our toes into some alligator territory. Talking oh, about into some sewer, over...
0: some sewer water. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, as I as I said before, we started recording. Uh, rom-com fans don't fear. I I have a lot to say about the truth about cats and dogs, but. Uh we may we may have to address Ramon and his thick juicy body cuz this is a big alligator people uh before we get into the truth whatever the truth may <laughs> be about cats and dogs uh but yeah let's let's talk gators all right so first of all what made you choose this movie
1: uh i think I I think I picked this or I wanted to pick this movie. I don't I, how did we pick this week's theme? We I we just said animals. animals. Okay. So I said animals and then I just for some reason I thought this movie at first because the scariest probably one of the scariest things I've ever seen as a kid is the pool scene in this movie where a kid gets eaten by an alligator in a pool and just like jaws scared me from natural bodies of water this movie terrified me of pools like anytime i jumped in a pool my brain would go you know statistically speaking there's not going to be an alligator inside this pool but then part of my brain would always go "Mm, but you should double check just in case
0: (laughs) and you literally saw it happen
1: right yeah i feel like
0: this actually is something that could happen to floridians
1: yeah, and I think I was going I meant to look it up, but I think alligators in the sewers were a real thing. Maybe not Chicago, but in New York or something. I don't know if it's ever been 100% confirmed or if that's just like an urban legend or a myth. But um
0: I think that it's a thing because it it definitely seems like people are irresponsible enough to sell baby alligators because they are really cute. Yeah. So I could I could definitely see that being a real thing. I think the the part where fiction and reality diverge is the um, body count. Uh, Ramon was humongous uh, and ate a bunch of people.
1: Yeah. And he wasn't just a regular alligator. He was a giant alligator because he was eating dogs that were genetically hormonally enhanced. So,
0: oh yes he was. He he was up to some some mischievous business that alligator. Uh so, yeah, this is actually a very accurate story of what can happen to you if you flush a baby alligator down the toilet, which you should never do. Yeah. Uh all right, should we get into it?
1: <laughs> Let's do it.
0: All right, so we open with a little girl watching an alligator wrestling show in Florida. One of the gator tamers gets bitten, but the girl still wants to buy a baby alligator as a pet, and her parents let her uh, take the gator home with them to Chicago, and then she names it Ramon Ramon. Uh later the little girl's dad flushes the baby gator down the toilet. And there's no reason. He's just angry and he's like, ah, I'm he's gonna just do a this. Bad dad. <laughs> he just decides to do it for absolutely no reason.
1: I also um, I wanna give a I don't know where they filmed this, but I want to give a shout out to Gatorland in Florida uh i went there and i fed alligators you can pay oh you really to- did yeah and you throw them in the water and they all jump out it's just like a an acre or whatever of swamp land and you just go look at alligators
0: i had no idea that that was a thing
1: yeah it was great as a kid it was great i mean now it might be i don't know how the the ethical treatment of the alligators are maybe that's the next netflix docu-series
0: Speaking of movies like this inspiring you to go out and learn animal facts, um, I learned that Florida is the only place in the world where alligators and crocodiles live together.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Pretty cool, right? Um, So we cut to 12 years later, David Madison, Chicago cop, is investigating these human body parts that are coming up in the city's water filtration system. Uh, And then Madison and his partner, Kelly decide to go down into the sewers to investigate uh, where Kelly is attacked by a fully grown Ramon and Madison escapes, but nobody believes him when he talks about what happened. Um so then Madison goes to herpetologist Marissa Kendall and if y'all remember the boats episode um uh Henry Fonda was a herpetologist too. Sorry, oh, it took yeah. me a, it took me a while to just remember his name because I literally in my mind went Jane Fonda's dad who <laughs> um and it was a whole process. Um but but yeah, so this is our second actually no this would be our our third herpetologist um because of the weird Ven between <laughs> a few romance and horror movies very weird we also uh, have,
1: I don't know what they were in his
0: I think he was a herpetologist too yeah. because if you that that means you study reptiles gotcha so yeah we uh in terms of imaginary jobs, that one has come up frequently for some reason. I also ha- think that it's pretty common in but I feel like like in doctors where movies had a low opinion of doctors, both the movies we watched had what I would definitely consider questionable treatment of animals. I mean you have the flushing of the um yeah, you have the flushing of baby Ramon. And then in Truth About Cats and Dogs, you have that business with the turtle. I mean, we'll we'll oh, wait yeah. to get into that. But I mean, just th- the things people do to animals in fictional movies is, is almost as bad as what they do to them in real life. Um, but anyways, so herpetologist Marissa Kendall turns out to be the very same little girl who bought Ramon in the beginning of the movie. Do you think they'll ever be reunited? Um, Well, Marissa doesn't think that the gator would survive the sewers, but, I mean, the girl should really have more faith in our man Ramon. Uh, But also, he sounds like a crazy person. But also, he's Robert Forster, and he's really really good looking.
1: Yeah. There's two kinds of monk episodes. Uh, There's the monk episodes where you see the murder happen and then monk has to piece it together and you're with him the whole journey, piecing it together. Or there's the episodes where you don't see the murder happen and you figure out with monk who the real killer is. And it's a surprise. So there's two kinds. The kind that I liked more was the one where you see it happen Because then as Monk is describing this outlandish series of events that led to this murder. You know, he's right. And everyone else is going, you're a crazy person. You totally go, yeah, you are a crazy person. You're also 100% right. And I love those kinds of movies. So I I like that
0: cat nippy for you? Yeah,
1: Forrester is like, there's a giant alligator in the sewer. And everyone's like, you're crazy. Like, yeah, this man is crazy. But he's also right. (laughs) oh yes
0: he is well he's not the only one who's curious because a reporter who had been following him decides to check out the sewers himself uh and he's promptly eaten by ramon uh he also has the good sense though to take some pictures which finally give madison the evidence needed to prove that this giant gator actually exists And then, uh, Madison also figures out why Ramon is such a thick, juicy boy. Uh, a company has been dumping dead animals into the sewer that are pumped with growth hormones, uh, growth hormones that have given Ramon an insatiable appetite in addition to his incredible size. Uh, And then eventually Ramon just decides to burst out of the sewer grate Mm -hmm. and start rampaging through Chicago because all these people keep coming into his house. I think Ramon is completely justified. I hear you. I mean, they keep coming into his house, bothering him. I mean, and really, this is my favorite scene in the movie because these kids are just playing, I don't know, ball or something on the street. And then Ramon just fucking bursts out of the ground. And it's not just like he came out of the grate. He literally is breaking concrete and then slithering around like a big, fat monster. It's great um and then the city is just they they have no idea what to do they can't stop him uh and this is the part where ramon gets in the pool and he eats a kid uh among other things he just he, at, at this point he's reached i think at least four stars in gta um and, yeah, and they he's got the helicopters he's going.
1: out looking for him and everything <laughs>
0: I feel like Ramon's stats broke the game. He's just too powerful.
1: Yeah, that's what happens. It's like if you found a cheat code and you could get the final weapon before the final, as like you started the game, because he just immediately boosts up into this giant beast and no one's ready for him.
0: Right. For twelve years, Ramon was farming his stats in the sewer, hey. eating growth hormone animals. and then he came onto the scene, and nobody realized that he'd already maxed out every stat.
1: That's how um, I play RPGs, which is why I don't play RPGs anymore because I hate the grinding process. and but at the same time, I don't want to go into the boss underprepared. so I'm gonna grind the, the first five, seven hours of the game, all I'm doing is grinding and then i can't move past that and then i get stuck
0: you know who doesn't hate grinding this fucking alligator because he then breaks up a wedding that's being held at the mansion of the owner of the company that threw those dead animals into the sewer ramon is clearly on to payback time uh and this is the final boss Uh, And then Ramon kills the company owner by smashing up his town car with his big ass tail.
1: Yeah, like that. Uh, he doesn't eat the guy. He he goes for just a more normal revenge of like, you know, I have an insatiable hunger, but I'm not even going to eat you. That's how disgusting you are to me is I'm just going to smash you to death with my tail.
0: But the real thing that Ramon hungers for is the love that was taken away from him when Marissa's father (laughs) flushed him down the toilet. Uh, He's a tragic figure. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Madison then follows Ramon into the sewer with a bomb uh, while Marissa keeps clear a manhole cover that uh, Madison will come out of. However, things hit a snag when an old lady blocks the manhole cover with her tire and Madison can't get out. But then Marissa clears the lady away and Madison makes it out just as the bomb blows up. And then later we see another baby alligator get flushed down the sewer, beginning the cycle anew.
1: Whoa. Yeah. Uh, What a movie. (laughs) I mean, halfway into the movie, Ramon busts out through the street. And
0: that was his crowning achievement. I think that that was definitely the best thing that Ramon did in this movie.
1: Yeah, Um, but we also miss the part where... Eat your heart out, it. (laughs) uh, I like how David is totally in charge of the situation, and he's like, okay, we got to have a team here. We got to have a team here. We're going to flush the alligator out to here. Like, he's totally ready. He's totally prepared. And then the alligator doesn't come out, so everyone thinks he is crazy again, and he ends up getting fired. And he just takes this firing like, yeah, you know what? Go ahead. Fire me. I'm going to steal this dynamite. I'm going to steal this bomb clock. I'm going to go take care of business. I'm going to go kick this alligator's ass. <laughs> and, well, it's
0: always great when people go rogue.
1: Yeah, rogue. Rogue alligators. Rogues and <laughs> alligators like peanut butter and chocolate. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really liked this movie. I, th- I thought this movie was genius. Like, absolute genius. Because... It's a horror movie, but it's also a slasher movie, but it's also a th- like a thriller killer movie because some of the people that die, you really enjoy their death scenes because oh boy, did they have it coming. But some of the people who die, no, it sucks. You don't want them to die. It's sad. Ramon's a monster, but sometimes he's like a vigilante crocodile Batman. <laughs>
0: But that's nature, you know? It, it's completely ambivalent and has no moral code. Ramon simply sees food and wants to eat it.
1: Right. He has
0: no good or bad qualities. He can't... Uh, I I feel like... It, I don't understand why they made the connection with it being Marissa's alligator that she flushed down the toilet because it doesn't really change the story Unless Ramon meets Marissa and it and <laughs> recognizes her.
1: <laughs> I think that's the rom-com version. <laughs> Where they meet together and then they realize that they're the ones who are supposed to be together. Um, no, I think it's just a fun, like, this is the definition of a grindhouse, you know, gritty movie, but that's also really silly and self-aware Um uh, yeah i think that the movie has fun with its premise but it also is talking about you know like when um you know it's talking about corporations and corruption but it also has those little moments of like yeah let's just sell alligators on the side of the road or oh there's a giant alligator running down new york next thing you know all the street vendors in new york have or chicago they all have alligator stuff so that they can make a quick buck off of people dying in the sewers. So I think that's a very grindhousey sort of cheesy, pulpy, yeah, it's her alligator at the beginning, but it doesn't really come up. It just cements that her character really likes alligators and reptiles.
0: I mean, I I guess so. I do I do always enjoy the sensational aspect, like when it finally becomes valid that hey, this alligator is out there. Um, I I think I might have skipped over this paragraph in my summary, but they get that big game hunter Brock yeah. to go and fight the alligator, but he's obviously really terrible. I, I feel I feel that movies. Uh, like this one and motel hell are really good at finding just one note characters to appear and disappear as needed yeah uh, and I think I think it it works really well here and I normally I would harp on an unnecessary romance um, because I really, strongly believe that you don't need a romantic plot in your movie to make it interesting. And in fact, we should have more movies that show men and women working together with no romantic thing at all, because that's a, that's the world we live in. Not every interaction between men and women is romantic. Um, there are other kinds of partnerships, um, but in this movie, I don't know. I kind of dug it. I dug it. I dug it. It's like a Han
1: and Leia vibe, you know. I
0: dug it because there was, of course, the belligerence. You, you can't, you can't hate on belligerent, sec, uh, <laughs> belligerent sexual attention. I think it always works. Uh, And then, you know what else I really liked? I'm not sure if this is something that would have registered with you, but when they do go back to his place, he tries to make it pretty clear, like, to communicate with her, are you into this or are you not? And I think it's important to say for all the kids out there that consent is always sexy. And it's never a bad look to check in with someone and ask if they're really interested in you before you proceed. And so I kind of, you know, I'm looking at Robert Forrester like, you know, you're not
1: just Mr.
0: Jackie Brown. Right. You've got some shades to you, Robert Forrester, and I'm 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 liking it. I'm Yeah, I like because
1: he's very confident and in charge and he's also kind of laid back. So when she first meets him. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to, you know, like, I believe it's an alligator, you don't, I get it. But then later when it's proven there is an alligator, like, by the pictures, and he takes control of the command scene, he's very in control. But then when they go back to his place, he's like, yeah, I'm a balding, older Man. i love
0: the references to his balding and <laughs> right? his sensitivity about it
1: and so he's like yeah i i'm probably not the right guy for you i mean i don't see a lot of women and it's clear that she doesn't see a lot of men so there's kind of that like rep- repressed stuff but they also act like adults about it and they're just like hey i kind of get the sense that you're into me but like I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. And then they, and then she kisses him, and then it's like ooh. And then they but have a little also, bit of a breakup, and then they get back together, and so, it's, but it's all very, I don't know. It's all but she,
0: also, she also kisses him after he asks right. if she wants to stay. It's, it's again, it's important to ask, even if you are supposed to be this confident hero type. Yeah. You always good to ask
1: women making the first move is sexy uh, julia roberts did it in Notting hill she just you know comes back to the house he opens the door gives her her purse and boom she plants one on him
0: right and then camera diaz does the same thing in night and day i think it's it's always nice to see women make the first move but still even from women to men checking in consent is always a nice thing to see And I think that for people who aren't as knowledgeable or experienced, it's easy to think, oh, is this something that's going to come across as awkward or weird? I think people are that way about condoms, too. And it's not. It doesn't have to be awkward or weird at all. None of that stuff is weird because it's about actually checking in with other Mm -hmm. people and understanding them and caring about them. Um, so you're never going to lose anything by asking questions. And I w- did not expect to see that next level communication from a 1980 hero.
1: Yeah, ahead of its time.
0: Definitely ahead of its time. But I remember liking Robert Forrester and Jackie Brown too.
1: Yeah, he, yeah, he's a very good actor all around.
0: Yeah, no. I, I, in in addition to alligator facts, and for the fiftieth time, looking up the difference between alligators and crocodiles, I was also interested in Robert Forster, and <laughs> and did some some googling there as He's well. He's from
1: Rochester, New York. Oh, is that
0: where you're from? Yeah. Ah. Oh. I don't know anything about Rochester.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. There's, we've got a couple celebrities up there.
0: And is Kodak. it one of? Is it one of the Greater Chesters?
1: I might even say it's the greatest Chester, but I'm a little <laughs> bit biased.
0: <laughs> oh man! So, what else is there to say about uh, Ramon and his misadventures? For me, it really didn't get better than that moment he just freaking burst out of the sewer and took to the town took to these streets
1: yeah i mean i knew immediately i was gonna like the movie because it starts off with a tense scene of a man confronting a crocodile and then i was thinking yes this is what i signed up for this synth score this creepy natural like this this natural force going up against human nature and then it's all just part of a show and it's all for people's enjoyment. The guy gets maimed, his leg gets bitten off and then people are like, you know, kind of happy about it and they're they're there to see the gore. You know, everyone goes to an alligator show to see something go wrong. And then they are selling alligators to anyone who wants to buy one. They're like, yeah, you can have this dangerous thing. Uh, just get rid of it before it becomes dangerous. And so it's kind of that meta commentary of like, Yes, I want to watch a movie where where bad stuff happens to people and enjoy it. And then the movie gives me half of that because people like the hunter or the reporter die. But then also people like the kid die. And the cop, the cop gets his leg bitten off. And so there's that mix. Some it, it... people lose their legs.
0: I, I yeah. feel like in particular, Ramon loves the dark meat. So I... I... They pull someone out of the water at some point that loses both his legs. Both of them. So, yeah, and that was maybe the fifth or sixth person that Ramon had de-legged.
1: This movie has as many leg chops as Taken has throat chops. If you ever count (laughs) the number of throat chops in the movie Taken, it's over over seven. Ooh, or
0: the number of um, judo throws in John Wick.
1: Yeah, judo throws and headshots. <laughs> <laughs> judo throws plus headshots. The Holy Ooh. Grail.
0: What a combo. Oh, man. So how was it to create a rom-com based on Alligator for you? Uh,
1: It was pretty easy, but only because I didn't spend as much time on it as the horror version. Uh, I just... I just went with the first thing that came to mind, and I decided to go kind of super rom-com, TM, silly, goofy, light, airy, fluffy, funny, charming, romantic.
0: Ooh, so Ramon's going to be played by Tom Hanks in this version?
1: Actually, I don't have a fully grown Ramon. I only have baby Ramones. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to start out. I, I changed some of the ages on both of my movies. So I'm going to have Marissa be older in my movie. And I, I don't have a good title. I just maybe like, see you later, Alligator.
0: I actually named my movie later Alligator because <laughs> yeah. I am that
1: lazy. Yep, me too. Uh, and so Marissa's older. She's a, She's a sort of pet expert but she has bad luck with people. So I'm going to say she's been married about six times, maybe twice to the same person or, you know, something silly like that. But she retires... Six times. I know, right? But she retires away to a small town with just her cat and her dog. And she likes it that way because she gets to avoid people and just be with her animals. But then David, who is also an older gentleman comes and knocks on her door and says that her granddaughter just came to visit him on her way back from spring break. And she had these (gasps) eggs in her luggage.
0: A seasoned romance.
1: Oh yeah. And so, you know, it's like, she's like, no, I came here to get away from people. And I came here to only take care of my pets. I'm not here to take care of some eggs that someone found. Like that's exactly what I'm here to get away from. But of course, he convinces her, maybe he says, like, I'll be back in a week to pick them up, but I can't have them in the house for whatever reason, or you know something that we find an excuse. Um, so then she takes care of them, but they hatch before he can come back, and when they hatch, they're little baby alligators. So I need probably at least two, maybe two to five alligators. And the thing is, So it's like
0: 101 Dalmatians, but with alligators?
1: Exactly. Pretty much, yes. (laughs) And so when the alligators hatch, they imprint onto the dog and cat. So they think that the dog and cat are their parents. And then the alligators become like little puppies and kittens. So when the man shows back up to say, hey, where are those eggs? I'm here to pick up those eggs. He's instead greeted by a bunch of puppy-kitty alligators that, you know, like, chase each other and sort of squeal and bark and lick each other like cats, and, you know, they're they're cute little animals. But, here's the problem. Uh, there's a corrupt game warden who's hot on the trail of these alligators who have escaped, and he... <sighs> You know, that's like illegal to remove animals from their endangered areas or whatever. But he also is followed by a very sleazy animal dealer who takes exotic animals and raises them so that they can be sold to make, you know, clothing and accessories and stuff like that. So we have two bad guys in the movie. So the bad guys show up at her house and then we have a bunch of hijinks of like... Oh, I think I hear a little baby alligator squeals. And then they run into the room and like David has to hide the alligators. And then the two bad guys run into the room and it's just a dog like whimpering, you know, like the dog whimpers to cover the baby alligator sounds. And then maybe one of them gets away and knocks something over on the table. So the guys are all run out to the table and, and Marissa has to hide the baby alligator somehow. And then the cat jumps up on the table and they're like, Oh, the cat knocked something off the table. Not a, not an alligator. Why would we have alligators in the house? So it's all silly. And they get the guys out, but the guys of course are like, the bad guys are like, no, we think these people are doing something wrong. So they're going to stalk them and like do a stakeout. Uh, So then Marissa and David take the, the baby alligators to the vet and, you know, there's like funny little mishaps where, of course, the baby alligators keep acting like silly little puppies and kitties and the vet doesn't want to do it. And vet's like, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing. So they have to look it up in a book. Very one note, silly characters that, again, like one note characters are good for coming in and out of the story. But this whole time, Marissa and David, who are not supposed to be getting together because he doesn't want to get to know her and she doesn't want to get to know him they start to bond and form a connection uh so then the bad guys try to intimidate the vet to be like tell us where the alligators are and the vet like holds up under pressure but then they have to feed the alligators and what do alligators eat well they eat livestock and cattle and stuff like that. And so David's like, well, we have to go to the local cattle farm. And then Marissa's like, you idiot. They're baby alligators. They don't eat cows. They eat bugs. So they go to the local bug farm. <laughs> and then while they're at the bug farm, the guy's showing them all the different bugs. Like he's selling them, you know, like uh, exotic foods. He's like, this beetle is really juicy. And this beetle is spicy. But while they're talking about bugs, the bad guys kidnap the alligators and they go on the highway and they hit the road and they try to escape, but then they hit flooding, you know, uh, turn around, don't drown. They, they drive through the puddle and then they get stuck at another puddle. So they're in between these two puddles, which are now super full and they can't turn around. So the, the, the game warden guy gets out of his car and then he sees a little baby pig because You know, baby pigs are a problem in the South, feral hogs and stuff. And so then he kicks the baby pig and then he turns around and he sees like a whole family of pigs. So the pigs all push the car into the water and trample and stomp on the guys like cartoony style and stuff like that. They chase them up trees or whatnot. And so then later Marissa and David show up and they wait it out. And then, you know, the bad guys are there. They drag the car out of the water and get a tow truck. They look inside, but there's no baby alligators. And so then it's a hunt to find who, you know, it's a hunt to find out who's going to find them first. Uh, But back at the van where Marissa and David, the, the one that Marissa and David were driving, for some reason they have the dog and the cat in the car, the dog and the cat here squeaking. So they run off on their own. And meanwhile, Marissa and David and the two bad guys are out looking for the alligators, but they can't find them. And then maybe, you know, the, the bad guys get taken to prison or somehow they get, quote unquote, rom-com poo-pooed on. Uh, so they get their comeuppance, but it's a very light comeuppance. Um, but then they go back to the van, Merce and David go back to the van and they're driving away and they look in the back and they see the dog and the cat like cuddled up in the back. And then they are driving and they really bonded together. And now they're like, they, you know, they're, they're shy and insecure. They don't want to admit they like each other, but they do like each other. And then they get home and they open the trunk you know, this, the open flapping doors on the back of a van and on the other side of the dog and cat that they didn't see are all the baby alligators. And then they're like, well, we should, you know, we should be a family together. And so David and Marissa kiss and the baby alligators are squeaking and the dog is barking and the cat is meowing and there's a rainbow and a sunset and everyone has a happy ending. <laughs>
0: I feel like this could definitely be a kid's movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that for sure. And then
0: the um the alligators, the baby alligators could be made by the Jim Henson company.
1: Yes. They So have... they can be extra cute. Right. They have um experience doing reptiles, right? Turtles.
0: I don't know about that. I just know that they know how to make puppets extremely cute.
1: Yeah. The 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 rats. The,
0: the little mice the in uh, in The Witches. Or yeah, were they were mice or rats?
1: Uh, I can't remember. I want to say, your brain is probably mice.
0: Either way, very cute. Very yeah. cute. Um, I just, I was so uninspired yeah. on this one. <laughs> I thought um, that uh,
1: David and Marissa already had a solid rom-com relationship in the horror movie
0: they they did no they they definitely they definitely served as a good jumping off point i mean obviously it's going to be about david and marissa right um but i decided i i don't know why i do this because there are certain genres or or sorry subgenres or tropes in romance that I'm just not a fan of like I don't like royal romances I mentioned in the um, in the French episode that for me just the hero or heroine is a prince or princess just does not do anything for me uh, and then similarly when it comes to paranormal romance I'm not that into uh, vampires or werewolves or what werewolves has evolved into in uh books which is shifter romances oh brett you would not believe the types of animals that writers will make shifter romances about there is a series called hot and badgered where the hero is a honey badger He's a were honey badger. So knowing that this was out there, it felt automatic for me that I would do a story about a were gator.
1: I like it. I like it already. I liked your supernatural, the conjuring (laughs) rom-com.
0: Oh, um, ghosts, ghosts who need to get the business. Yeah. To finish their business, right. uh, yes. Um, so this is this is going to be a, another another paranormal Shira special. Um, but I I I couldn't. I, again, I I struggle with ending these these things. Yeah, but, yeah. But but yeah, we we went the shifter route. We went the shifter route. So this is called later alligator because I I didn't have time to think of anything else. Uh, Marissa is a herpetologist in Chicago that is working on proving the existence of reptile shifters. I kind of thought that it would be interesting if what if the crazy doctor character was a woman? How would it be different if the person who is, you know, like the Loomis character is a cute young woman? Um, and. I mean, I'm sure that would be very alienating. But David Madison, he is a cop on the hunt for a man-eating monster in the sewers. And when Marissa reads about the incidents in the newspaper, she tries to get David to let her in on the investigation, but he thinks that she's just a crackpot and he ignores her. But then that night, David goes into the sewers with his partner to look for the monster And he manages to make it out with just a bite to his upper arm, but then his partner doesn't make it. And of course, no one at the station believes uh, David. And he goes home and starts to feel strange. uh, And then that's when Madison turns into a big alligator. (laughs) So Madison goes to Marissa in alligator form and then shocks her by returning to his human form, but naked, of course. So that can be some of the comedy. I always, I, I hate it in movies when people shift into a different form, like a werewolf, and nothing happens to their clothing. I mean, I all the time you have to be dealing with clothing issues, or I, I just don't believe it.
1: Is um, this is this weregator like the lizard from Spider Man? Or killer croc from the batman stuff like is this a human alligator you know
0: i couldn't decide you know i feel like maybe it's both because in werewolf lore the werewolf can have a wolf form and then he could have a humanoid wolf form that's somewhere in between so you could you could have it be both maybe when David gets, in tr- gets control of his powers, he'll be able to shift between a humanoid alligator and a full alligator. But that can be part of his powers. Um, so then Marissa, of course, covers him up, and then they discuss his new form over hot tea. Um, and Marissa is super excited, because she's a weirdo, uh, about him being a were-gator. But, and Madison is he's you know this is a situation but he's starting to be kind of into marissa uh her her excitement over cryptozoology is infectious um and they begin working together so that marissa can help investigate the sewer killings um which they think are the works of another shifter and then also test out David's new abilities so we can have maybe a montage where he's you know shifting between being a gator and being a man and I don't know destroying a car with his tail and then like running away or Maybe in one scene he uses his tail to break open a candy container and they steal all sure. the candy. I don't know. You know, crazy, crazy funny, goofy rom-com stuff. And then maybe at some point Madison meets Marissa's mom, who then assumes the, that he's Marissa's boyfriend. So she then asks him to go on, go along with a fake relationship as a cover for them to keep doing what they're doing. But then he agrees because he's really into her. Um, So it's like, whatever, whatever he can get at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And then eventually they are able to trace the majority of the activity back to the Slade family mansion. And this would be the same family that owns the pharmaceutical company um, that does shady shit. Uh, And then at this point in the plot would be where I think Marissa and David would share an almost kiss, Um, but then Marissa might pull back. And then at this point they would get in a fight because Madison, David has to stand up for himself. You know, he's still a man and it's up for Marissa to decide. Does she want him as just a test subject? or as a man, but not both. You know, people need to stand up for themselves. That's, that's part of what rom-coms are all about. Uh, and then, so at this point, Madison then tries to go through the sewer system in his gator form to investigate. Uh, and he has a showdown with the gator that killed his partner. That gator is also another shifter. Madison is getting beat bad, but then Marissa shows up They fight him off together. Maybe she shoots the other gator with a silver bullet. And that gator reverts back to its human form. And it's revealed to be, you know, the pharmaceutical company owner. And it's like, oh, we got the bad guy. Uh, And then the lovers embrace. They agree to cheat each other better and say later alligator to the dead guy.
1: (laughs) I like it. I really like it.
0: Um, <laughs> I know it's really corny, but i i I was working against uh I mean i I just most of the time I am a bad procrastinator, so sometimes when I spin up these stories, it's really happening like I, i'm I'm just on a whim, Mozart style, it's coming out of my head for better or worse. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but the thing is, I totally want to see a scene where Slade Gator is talking to Madison Gator and he's like, we're the new species, we can take over, join my side. And (laughs) and Madison has to be like, no, I fight to protect people, not eat them. And, you know, but I I like the crazy, you know, maniacal, power-hungry evil gator
0: well shifter fantasies are always about shifter clans so there's always right? shifter factions and if david was a gator shifter then he would be expected to join the other gator shifters but they killed his partner so fuck them yeah it's like uh, Lost Boys. he's he's a lone uh, gator yeah yeah <laughs>
1: he's the he's like the evil bad boy vampire and then the main character gets turned into a vampire and he's got to like he's interested in in his new life but he's also not interested in following the bad crowd so
0: talk about another movie that could have been gayer um and and that. That is a segue into how I feel about the truth about the truth about cats and dogs is it should have and could have been oh, wait, much wait. gayer.
1: Oh, but yeah. before we do we'll
0: that, but, I,
1: I, I but you agree with you agree with me? It could have oh. been gayer. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but before we crush? do that, who's the oh. crushing gator?
0: um for alligator it's a tie between robert Forster and uh ramon that big juicy boy
1: i gotta say i'm gonna completely go with the police captain on this one <laughs> oh the police what? captain yeah the guy who's robert forrester's boss right the guy who has no voice and yet he's increasingly yelling and straining throughout the movie <laughs> Um. Yeah. Just you know, like you dug in too deep, and now you're out of the force. I need your badge. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a great. You do love that type. <laughs> I do, man. It's so great. Like that's that's the kind of character actor that could only fit in that part. But that's his 15 minutes. I mean, I, maybe the guy's super famous, or he's an older actor who has a lot of work. But I mean, he he had that one chance to hit a home run, and man. Like, he nailed it. He is that grizzled, gruff police captain who's inept, but yet backs the main character, but doesn't back the main character, but needs their help. But, yeah, like, ugh, I love it. And then it. he's just, like,
0: chugging Tums in the background right. because he's just on edge all the time. Because he oh, yeah, killer
1: elevator running in the source, and he's getting pressure from his boss to get it, to get it solved
0: uh yeah no i i i think that's that is a good choice that is a a worthy crush subject
1: um but yeah uh, you you started to say a little bit about cats and dogs i'm interested to know why this one for you you had obviously seen it before right So,
0: like some of the movies that we've watched, for instance, Leap Year, um, some of these movies I haven't seen since I was a kid. So, I actually didn't remember much about The Truth About Cats and Dogs other than that it's a Cyrano setup, meaning that, like the play Cyrano de Bergerac, the hero romances their object through a proxy and then while the proxy and their object fall in love the hero also falls in love with the object so in this it's that uh Uma Thurman stands in for Janine Garofalo romancing the guy um
1: so for but those yeah like me Janine Garofalo is the Newman and Uma Thurman is the Kramer
0: Right, so they did a Cyrano, <laughs> I guess, in Seinfeld.
1: Correct. Uh, where and it plays much better, I think, as a sitcom gimmick than a feature length gimmick.
0: You know, there there are some Cyrano setups that I think do really well. Steve Martin did his own take in a movie called Roxanne. Oh, I've uh, never seen it. He's got a big and- nose, right? Well, yeah, because in the original Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, the reason why Cyrano thinks that he isn't worthy to romance Roxanne, the object, is because of his humongous nose. I mean, clearly he's never heard of that whole big nose, big whatever thing. Um, but anyways, his, his gigantic nose isn't a reason in itself to be unlovable, but that, that's the reason that supposedly he does not, um, romance her in person, but then he falls in love with her anyways, while helping this guy write love letters to her. Uh, so Steve Martin did it. There was a teen version called whatever it takes with, uh, uh, who is in that movie? It doesn't matter. Uh, oh, James Franco and Shane West. Um, but it again, <laughs> it does not matter. Uh, and then there was a recent version of it called The Half of it, which I think probably does what this movie should have done, which is be more queer because in the half of it, it's a C or no setup where it's a girl helping a guy romance this girl. And then she realizes that she's into the girl as she's helping him. Um, And, and yeah, so it's been done before in a movie and I think it can be really satisfying. Um, But I think it makes more sense if it's a direct homage, like what Steve Martin did, or it's a teen thing like what Netflix is doing with the half of it and Sierra Burgess is a loser where the Cyrano plot is teenagers where it makes a lot more sense that their self-esteem would be low enough that they would use Mm -hmm. a proxy to approach their crush instead of themselves because that's totally something dumb teenagers do all the time. It was the entire premise of using AOL instant messenger as a teen.
1: Uh, yeah. I was but, shocked to find out this movie came out before Notting Hill.
0: I actually wasn't shocked at all. I mean I mean the music beats, the way people dressed, but I when we chose animals as the theme, I just thought, okay, I I would rather watch this than must love dogs because I don't remember that movie as well either, but I don't remember it being better. Right. than the truth about cats and dogs. But I realize I saw this movie when I was very young because I can remember things like the scene where uh I think his name is Brian. He was so bland, I can't even remember his name yeah. because it wasn't even about him. It was clearly oh about God. Uma Thurman and Janine Garoflo. But we're gonna get into that. But there's a scene where he blows on her hands because they're cold. And I remember being a preteen and thinking, oh, I wish I wish a guy would do that to me. That seems really romantic.
1: <laughs> yeah, this movie is damaging to young people who like Yeah, this was my idea of like, is this what women like? Because
0: this I have had a guy warm my hands though that way, and it was romantic at the time. But also, we were teenagers, so I feel like we probably both just saw the truth about cats and dogs (laughs) and thought this is what (laughs) this is. This is peak. This is peak romance. Yeah. I think it's funny
1: that you mentioned that scene, though, because that's one of the things that Sonia and I were talking about after we watched the movie together. And she said, like, oh, you didn't like that part where you blew on her hands? And I was like, no, that's creepy. And she, she said, I'm pretty sure you've blown on my hands to keep them warm. And I said, yeah, but that was after three years, not three days. <laughs> Wait,
0: you didn't put her... You didn't touch Sonia's hands until three years into your relationship?
1: I didn't blow on her hands. I didn't put my hot breath all over her hands as a sign (laughs) of romantic caring for you. That wasn't (laughs) until three years in. Maybe I just moved slow. I don't know. (laughs) Um... Yeah. Do you have any other preamble? Because I think we're kind of. Oh yeah. No. Listen, sorry.
0: Sorry. I'm. I'm sorry. We we are definitely rambling, and you have my permission to cut out anything irrelevant. Uh, but tell us <laughs> what is the truth about cats and dogs. Right, tell us the here's story.
1: The here's what. Here's what you always wanted to know about.
0: I can't handle the
1: truth. Uh, I I broke this up into. Th- This movie has some very, very good things, and this movie has some very, very cringy things going on. So I figured instead of just doing a quick recap and then talking about it after, we could do a more expanded recap and talk about it kind of beat by beat, because every five minutes something cool happens, then every five minutes something terrible happens.
0: Oh yeah. I, I, I actually, I agree with this proposal because yeah. there's, there's so much to dig into. So much.
1: Okay. So, so we start out with Abby taking some phone calls on her animal care call in radio talk show. And we see her being very relatable, very funny, very smart. And we also know that her next door neighbor has a total jerk hole of a boyfriend. Uh, the next day, Brian calls in being, Really, really dumb. He displays a total lack of common sense (laughs) and poor judgment by putting roller skates on a dog he's apparently never put roller skates on before. And then calls into a radio show to figure out how to get the dog to calm down. Also, is it just me or does he openly admit that he got the dog from the pound in the morning, but then has zero plans on keeping the dog and actually adopting him? Like is, the, like, is this yes. guy not just a total idiotic scumbag from the beginning?
0: <laughs> I have so many questions specifically about the roller skates because they are dog-sized. They look <laughs> like roller skates that someone made to fit on paws. So first of all, you have, at the level of the plot itself, the absurdity of this broke photographer going to the pound to get... Not a small dog, but a big, the big boy. Um, no intention to keep him, putting dog roller skates on his feet. Uh, and then the fact on the metal level that the people who made this movie put roller skates on a dog. This is a pre-CGI era. This is practical effects only. And that practical effect was an actual dog in roller skates. It is very cute, but at the same time, it is not... Nobody should have ever been allowed to put a dog in roller skates. Also, if we're going to
1: nitpick... My my parents had a 110 pound golden doodle. And he was a big dog, but he also was very fluffy, so he looked bigger than he really was. But he was the best dog that I've ever had. I mean, that's mean to say to the other dogs, but he was he was <laughs> such a good dog, right? Like he was just a one-of-a-kind dog. He was great, and he was the most agreeable, chilled, laid-back dog. He was like he was like having a small furry human being around who just, who he was so full of love and happiness. He was a great dog. However, anytime we would try to put his little booties on to take him out in a walk in the snow, I mean, this was a dog who was very agreeable to anything. You could put sunglasses on him. He loved wearing his jersey every Sunday. My dad would put a, a football jersey on him and he loved it. He would get excited for the jersey. He'd wear <laughs> hats, he'd wear costumes, he wore everything. But you tried to put booties on his feet And it's not like he would try to, you know, like, bark or growl or wiggle away, but he would get super wiggly, and he was clear that, I don't like stuff on my feet. So how did this guy get this—how did he put four of these roller skates on this dog? Like
0: Four paw-sized roller skates.
1: I don't know. But for some reason, Abby and Brian have— a good time talking to each other on the phone on the on the talk show and brian she convinces decides, him to keep the dog right brian decides the the dog is photogenic and he's going to keep the dog so the uh the next day a coworker asks abby for date advice but before she can answer he asks a prettier lady for date advice and she seems totally fine with this she's like yeah i don't want to answer that question anyway is the vibe i get from her but she gets a photo of the dog and then immediately gets a phone call from Brian and he asks her out using the dog as bait. You know, he's like, We would love to see you. We could go do this. Like the dog and him would go on the date with her. And it's.
0: Yeah, him and every guy who's ever used Tinder.
1: <laughs> so I don't know. Abby, we learned that Abby is really insecure about her looks. So she sets up a date with him, but she lies about her appearance because she's looking at a magazine of her neighbor who also happens to be a model. Correction.
0: She took that picture out of the magazine and pinned it to her cubicle. How is this not big lesbian energy?
1: Oh, for sure. (laughs) Um, So she ultimately stands him up, which is to me saying, Hey, Hey, i'm not interested in you (laughs) however
0: that's not enough for this guy
1: no so uh, next we meet noelle she's uma thurman she's adorable she's likable she's funny she's great she does have a really bad taste in men and she's and she's also weirdly very self-aware of her vapid character like she knows he's a dummy but
0: but yeah you're right
1: but like they never, I don't know. I feel like they never utilize that to any kind of effect. But the next day, Brian shows up unannounced to Abby's work, and this is just one of the first series of incredibly creepy moves done by this. This is why I said I was shocked to find this movie came out after Notting Hill because this guy's clearly a, a a goofy, stuttering beta Hugh Grant clone. But he came out before Hugh Grant. And I could like I could not imagine the discussion of how does this guy get this role? Or why well, not, do they use this guy to be like why do they play this character this way?
0: Notting Hill wasn't our first exposure to Hugh Grant in his bumbling beta character. Uh, that was, was probably Yeah, that was your first exposure. <laughs> we haven't done four weddings and a funeral. Yet, God, um, yeah. <laughs> which does have um more Hugh Grantness. So, okay. by the time he got to Notting Hill, it, it was already a brand.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, that's that's where the history helps because this guy is 100% Hugh Grant clone, uh, Brian thinks Noelle is Abby because Noelle's sitting in the chair. She wants to be a, a newscaster and stuff. So Abby asked Noelle to be her and Noelle just goes along with it and tells Abby that our Noelle tells Brian, Abby is Donna and Brian immediately hits it off with Donna. So I don't like how much this movie is trying to make things. It's going out of its way to make things awkward. And I just, Like in a, in a show like Curb Your Enthusiasm, I like it because sometimes he's right and sometimes he's wrong. Sometimes it works out for him. Sometimes it doesn't. But with this movie, you know, that they're going to end up together. So the more awkward it gets, the more cringy it gets. Well, it's the miss, you know what it is? It's the whole, it's
0: the mistaken identity piece because for a real Cyrano setup. It's not so much that there's a mistaken identity, um, but that the Cyrano character is ghost writing for the one the, for the proxy. So, if it was something where Uma starts seeing this guy, and she's not very book learned, she's not very smart, and she asks Janine Garofalo to pretend to be her in texts and things like that so that she can seem smarter where he still thinks that it's her. That's more of a Cyrano setup. So for example, in whatever it takes uh, the one with James Franco and Shane West, James Franco asks for Shane West's help with getting with Shane West's uh, childhood best friend. And then ex- in exchange, James Franco will help Shane West get with the um, the popular girl or something like that. And then, of course, in the process, he realizes that he was in love with his best friend all along, blah, 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 blah. But there was never any pretense of mistaken identity. I think once you bring the false identity into it, then it it's you're doing too many things at the same time.
1: I 100% agree. If Uma Thurman asked Janine for help, and said, "I need to impress this man. It would have been one thing, but to lie to him and then have the movie go out of its way to keep the lie going, oof! Like for the, I, I thought about the mistaken identity episode that we already did, and you did, you did while you were sleeping, right? Yes. And in <clears throat> that movie, I hate that idea that she." She gets caught up in this little lie and then the lie expands and expands and expands and blows up in her face. However, the whole time we see her getting deeper into the lie, we see why she would do it because there's a personal connection. She wants a family. Sandra Bullock is likable. Like I and, and she feels bad the entire time. So that movie is is more of a charming movie that gets away with the lie this movie just feels cringy and gross the whole time and i think you really hit the nail on the head for exactly the formula and and recipe why this movie feels out of balance
0: right (laughs) um Yeah, no, I, 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 and I also think, okay, so the person who wrote this movie, unfortunately she passed away, I think a couple of years ago. She also wrote the script for The Hate You Give. And apparently the original script for this movie was very different. And Abby doesn't even end up with Brian in the end, which is why I keep, I I'm not, I'm, when I keep saying gayness, or big lesbian <laughs> energy. I want to make it clear that I'm not in any way trying to be offensive. I just look at this movie and I see the relationship between Abby and Noel. And to me, that's clearly the main attraction.
1: Uh, I mean, we'll we'll get into it later because there's definitely a moment that I want to, I want to refrain from from the conversation because there's a moment later where I think the punchline will really sell. Um, but yeah, Uma Thurman, very likable, Janine Garofalo, very likable. This no offense to the other guy, but I uh, I uh, I don't need him in this. Story. He's the real proxy. Right. So, uh so then they go out for drinks later. I think it's very weird that Uma Thurman is very aware of how dumb she is because she's like you're the real dummy he's into you just tell him go out with him you like him he likes you you should go out with him you're the real dummy yes Uma Thurman you're 100% right you're a very smart lady and then in the very next scene she's like I like menus I like ordering food me no eat me stay skinny because me girl and I'm like
0: "Oh, you're such like- <laughs> she, did she say it exactly like that bro? just like
1: that and then we have this weird bee gag, which much like the dog and roller skates gag feels like this weird mid nineties physical comedy scene. That is maybe they, maybe they wanted to put some like Jim Carrey stuff in there, but Jim Carrey doing physical comedy is a very different thing than this extra. Is this when
0: men are falling comedy. all over themselves because Uma Thurman is so hot.
1: Yeah. And it's weird. like the bee gag just doesn't, it doesn't I'm not sold on it man I don't know I think
0: maybe they're trying to do a silly the girl can't help it thing if you've ever seen that
1: movie it, I've, it's not seen these movies. <laughs> um, I've seen a lot of the movies that inspired and were inspired by uh, by alligator but I've not seen any of these rom-coms <laughs> uh, but no so later they have drinks uh, Noel leaves Donna with Brian, and instead of confessing, uh, more, or, hmm, I have an incomplete sentence here. But
0: she doesn't confess. She she made, more she more. Li- yeah, she lies again when she right. could have just told
1: the truth. Right. So yeah, Noel leaves Donna with Brian, and instead of confessing, there's more lying. Uh, We go back at home and we get more of Uma Thurman being pretty. We get more of Janine Garofalo being smart and compatible. Uh, And then Jamie Foxx pops in with the turtle and we get the little turtle gag, which much like the bee gag, didn't really do it for me. Like the setup work, Janine and Uma have terrific chemistry. But if we're
0: supposed to believe this scene, Uma Thurman puts her Uma Thurman, no offense to Uma, she doesn't exactly have small hands. Right. This is this is a piano player's finger. This is not a little finger. And we're supposed to believe she stuck that finger in a turtle's ass?
1: No, I think they had to give him shots in the arm.
0: No! I thought that the, the gag was that she put her finger in the turtle's butt.
1: I don't know. I'll have to go back and rewatch it cuz I was I'm
0: I mean, not going to do that. But yeah, uh, no, she she put her finger, her gigantic finger in the turtle's butt if I was watching the same scene that you were.
1: Uh maybe. Maybe I was distracted or bored or I don't know. I'll go back and rewatch it. But then we go to the mall. Um we, we get the conversation about how they're both the perfect woman if you combine them together. Janine Garofalo is really snarky to the makeup lady. Uma Thurman's very likable. Again, Uma Thurman is very likable throughout the entire movie. The makeup lady totally roasts Janine. And we cut to her with a bunch of makeup, crying, saying, I can't believe I let her do this to me. And I wonder how you feel about that scene.
0: It passes the Bechdel test. Does it? Three women talking about cosmetics and aging.
1: But they don't all have names. Isn't that part of the Bechdel test? Or no? At
0: least two of them have names, oh. and then they talk about it later. Um, um, but but yeah, and that is that is a relatable experience. As a woman, I think that you are being marketed to all the time, and it's easy to fall for those messages
1: uh I totally, and this is
0: also where she this is where uma straight up says i'd fuck you
1: yeah which which i think Sonya she played it serious movie, yeah sonia and i watching the movie were like yeah that yeah that that line is completely in line with the chemistry and vibe of the movie <laughs> totally uh so yeah, I don't know. I felt it was a little gross, but it just, it, I again, like I understand most of the decisions in this movie. I just don't. It's like the subreddit, awesome in theory, but or whatever the the good idea but bad execution, w- whatever that subreddit is. Uh, I don't know. But I
0: just trying to do too much. They yeah. either choose mistaken identity or choose Cyrano. Right. You can't have both.
1: So. I don't know. Brian su- suspects something is wrong. Uh, Noelle believes in magazine quizzes. We get the phone call from Brian talking to the real Abby, and he mentions the voice and the body. But then him and Abby start talking on the phone. He asks for the radio voice, and it's.
0: I relate to this so hard. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I just have to say this because I, I have a job where I, I talk. I talk to people over Zoom calls, and I've had people ask me, "Am I a real person? Is that your real voice? Are you using an app?" Because, like Abby's radio voice, you sometimes you put on a voice to talk to people in a particular way. But I, it kind of reminded me of that one um, episode of the Maria Bamford show. Where she's using her uh, radio voice to get with uh, I think Dean Kane mm-hmm. <laughs> but but he's never heard her real voice. He just knows sure. her 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 radio voice, but I don't know, I thought that was funny.
1: Yeah, uh, no, I definitely relate with that. I have a customer service voice that is a hundred percent different than my normal talking voice and cadence uh but then so we get we get a little bit of flirting we get some cuteness on janine garofalo like i never thought of janine garofalo as like super cute but in this very cute but yeah but it's her attitude is more snarky and stuff but here we see that cute side come out and she's really cute and she's really sexy and they get really intimate and on her part everything is flowing and vibing and janine garofalo is raw a plus rom-com material however uh the guy brian is just needy and persistent and he pushes past no janine garofalo says no a couple times but he's like no really come on let's do this and then he's no robert forster yeah he's just like i get the the idea of it being a beta hero is a good choice but him being a total creep just doesn't work for me and then she just innocently mentions like oh i wish you were over here and he goes okay bye click and he and first of all how does he know where our house is and second of all that's not a real invitation yeah not, that was like, a hey, bit much if i send you a postcard that says, wish you were here. If I went to Florida to go to Gatorland and sent you a postcard, Shira, that said, hey, I'm at Gatorland, Alligator, Robert Forster, wish you were here, you wouldn't then hop on a plane to meet me in Florida. Like this-
0: So you're saying you don't want me to meet you in Florida?
1: It's a polite, it's a turn of phrase, Shira. I'm not- uh, And so it's very creepy. We get in the middle of the night, we get that sort of Miss Doubtfire makeup <laughs> face scene- uh and then he's like, Okay, I'll go, but let me see your face. And she's like, No. And then he goes, Okay, fine. Throw me some of your clothing. Like, <laughs> ugh. Gross. And he's
0: pretty damn happy when she throws the shoe. He looks he looks irked at first, right. but then he's into but
1: it. Then he's into it. It's so gross. So then Uma Thurman practices part of her anchor speech, which is very funny. She reads a quiz. And she realizes, uh, you know, Janine Garofalo is happy. Uma Thurman is sad, and uh, you know they meet up, and 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 they're two opposites right now. They're they're feeling polar opposites. Janine's on cloud nine because she just had a sexy phone sex. Uma Thurman's really sad, and then we go from this weird opposite feeling scene where there's stuff that needs to be solved, and their their grandmaster plan which is not their first bad plan and not going to be their last bad plan. They decide to have Uma Thurman show up to Brian's house while Janine Garofalo is on the radio. Like, what is the next step in that plan? (sighs) That is crazy. Can I also mention,
0: why are all of Brian's photos out of focus yeah, he's a I, photographer.
1: Yeah, I thought at one point Uma Thurman was going to say it's out of focus and then he was going to say, yeah, cuz it's supposed to represent the fuzzy ideals of society. <laughs> like I did think about that. I was like, "Oh, this photo is out of focus." <laughs> they um, were all out of focus. <laughs> So then, again, more creepiness, because he's bumbling more, he's persisting more, he's flirting more, and she's sad and he's creepy, and then we get the absolute worst scene of the movie, probably, which is the cake scene.
0: Hey, I'm well acquainted with the erotic power of dessert so some of that was believable
1: you know you know when you asked me in motel hell is this movie in on the joke and i told you i would like to believe it is i like to live in a world where it is uh let's hold the mirror up to you for this movie is this scene self-aware or is it gross and creepy is it is it a good scene or a bad scene
0: I laughed at the scene because, like I mentioned before, I am well acquainted with the erotic power of dessert. And the idea that Uma Thurman, after being withheld cake for so long would have this kind of reaction to dessert, which she has not reacted to any man in the movie the way she reacted to the dessert, which to me tracks... If you like dessert as much as I do.
1: Maybe if he like gave her the first bite and then she took over and was eating it. But Oh yeah, that's right. He fed
0: it to her the entire time. That is kind of weird. If she if she took over, that would be different. Right. Um, but yeah, that that he was feeding it to her until she finished is a
1: little bit weird. Right. So then he gives her a book. She's never been given a book before. They kiss. I think he's sleazy again. She's very excited. So she can't tell him. Then they have a little car race scene. She's late. She does not tell him their plan goes horribly awry. Uh, She chickens out. She can't do it. Uh, She likes him and you totally get why she likes him, but she runs into the building. She goes up. He hears her voice on the radio, goes up the elevator. She goes up the stairs, hits her, hits him with the door. There's plenty of gags. Uh, she's flustered. He's very creepy. Like he goes to check up on her. She, he just said goodbye to her. It's very creepy. However, the bond between the ladies is only strengthening as she hides out under the desk and, you know, has to feed her a little bit of lines and stuff like that. Like their chemistry, very good. His chemistry, no bueno. Uh, and so then there's some competition because now they both like him and, uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, she, this is where they come up with the shit face plan, which again is what you're oh, the thinking,
0: chasing Amy plan.
1: Yeah. They, they only get one step into the plan and don't think about steps two through 10. Uh, they both go over to his house. Janine Garofalo is super sexy and they're connecting with, she's connecting with Brian while he takes photos of her. And then it's Uma's turn and there's more sexiness. So Janine Garofalo explodes at him and, you know, who would you rather sleep with? And then she leaves and then Uma Thurman stays behind, but she doesn't sleep with him, of course. Uh, But Janine doesn't know that. So then there's a phone call, an apology. And then right as Uma Thurman says, I miss you. She picks up the phone. Janine picks up the phone and it's like, I miss you too. Oh, Oh no, she hung up. Like, just call her back. I don't like these i don't like these misconnections that are easily solved just call her back
0: this is what i'm talking about why would you give uma thurman why would you give noelle the grovel yeah if she's not the hero because you know how i feel about a good grovel when it comes to a rom-com Someone has made a mistake and now they need to grovel for the heroine's forgiveness. And the person who has to grovel is Noel. So clearly, this is a love story between Noel and Abby right? because at no point does Abby grovel to Brian. I mean, mm. she brings him back his coat, but like she doesn't grovel to him. It's all about Noel and Abby. I I don't even understand. I again, I want to read the original script where she doesn't end up with Brian. Right. I I wish that it was like Chasing Amy where they did have a threesome and then the ladies realized they were really into each other and it became weird. I don't
1: weird. Even need the threesome, man.
0: You <laughs> don't? just get him out of
1: here. Just so... get just kill Brian. <laughs> uh so I did like the bit though. I completely agree with you. Uma should not be groveling, but I liked her news anchor grovel pitch. Like that was a really sweet moment. And Uma Thurman plays it off really well. So again, I don't agree with the decisions of this movie, but I think Uma and Janine work with what they've got. And they're very charming and very likable in this movie. So she gives good grovel. uh, So Brian runs into Donna at the mall, which is not a coincidence or yeah, Brian. Well, Donna, quote-unquote right? quote-unquote yeah, yeah yeah and so he runs into donna at the mall and that's not a coincidence he's definitely stalking her to get to to uma abby and you know he's like hey i was calling your name and she's like oh a department stores so he goes yeah i get that too oh what a i i hate this guy uh so he buys a present for abby again creepy they walk out of the mall, they go to a pier, they play with a cat, they go to the beach, they have lots in common, they start to spark, they start to talk about... what. Oh if... yeah, this is the hand scene. Yeah, they they start to talk about what, you know, sometimes I have lots in common with the women, but there's no sparks, and sometimes a woman's really beautiful, but I don't like her. And then this is like, this, is, this might be the most dumbest scene in the movie. Uh, Janine Garofalo goes, I want you to tell me, or she goes, I want you to tell me what that you want me for who I am, right? She basically lays it out there and says, hey, we have developed this strong connection. What about us is the subtext of what she's saying. And Brian's response is, you're going to eat that? Like, why does she like this guy? He's an oblivious jerk a-hole. I don't, I don't because get it. Because
0: his blurry photos are very deep.
1: So then they somehow again are on the beach and there's a sunset and he gives her a coat and then he molests her and treats her like a baby and dresses her. (laughs) And it's so creepy. She's like, I can do it. He's like, no, your hands are too cold and frigid. I dress you for, let me get your buttons for you. And it's, it is awful. It's so bad. This movie just gets worse and worse. Uh, in terms of his, I wish character. that
0: Uma Thurman had done that to her instead.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, it's like the gif of you ever see the gif of uh, Elizabeth Olsen giving Audrey Plaza her scarf, and it's like this cute little moment. No. I- I'll show it to you. Like that's what the movie should have been.
0: Audrey Plaza has some big lesbian energy too.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, uh, there's a whole meme culture about those two actresses together. They're they're very this cute is together.
0: News to me.
1: Uh, you have a rabbit hole to go down once this is <laughs> over. Uh, so then he's looking at her, closing her eyes, and I liked her a little bit about it's a religious thing, but also why are you looking at her eyes? So creepy. So then there's the he's sun. feeling
0: her. Okay, Ugh. this actually makes him more of a creep because. If he thinks that Uma Thurman is Abby and he's doing all of this stuff with her friend, yeah. that makes him a huge creep because huge he's hitting creep. on both of them. And
1: then, yeah, and then he says they're having a great time. Another super romantic, just like the, the phone sex scene was great. This This sunset scene, in theory, is very romantic and sweet. But then he goes, I miss her face. Uma Thurman's face, again, completely oblivious. Why does she like this guy? This is She should just leave him. She just needs to leave him. So then Uma Thurman is a very good friend because she confronts him and says, listen, you need to make a list of all the things you like about me and then show up at my house. So he does just that. He makes a list of all the things he likes about, quote-unquote, Abby. He shows up at her house. And then... And then the the big list scene just becomes really pushy because he barges his way into the apartment. He's talking to Uma Thurman, in theory, through the door. And then before he gives his big romantic pitch to Uma Thurman, he goes, hey, Janine, come over here. Uh, I'm going to run this by you first. Like, dude, read the room. Don't run your romantic (laughs) pitch to the best friend while the lady is in the next room. And so then he he's again totally oblivious. He gives the speech and then she goes, You forgot beautiful. And he and then he goes, I don't like her for her looks. Yes, you do, multiple times in the he movie. He listed him a bunch just, of times. The first two things you mentioned was I like the way you walk and I like your eyes. Those are the two physical things about her. And then she's like, and then Janine just looks so stupid because she's like, No, but four and five were good. Like, ugh. So then You know, he says, like, hey, you know, when you like someone, their appearance can change. Someone pretty can become more unlikable. Someone not pretty becomes more likable. And she is very likable. And then he goes, while they're having this very whispery, intimate conversation about those two, he immediately turns the attention on Uma and goes, oh, she hasn't even said a word. Like, first of all, you're not talking loud enough for her to hear you in the bath. And second of all, you're talking to the best friend now. Don't, change the conversation. Oh, this guy drives me nuts. So <laughs> I, like, I like her a little bit though, about like playing in the, sh- in the bath and she's like, just get rid of him. Oh, if that's what you want. Like, again, bad stuff is happening all through this movie, but there's, there's tiny little moments that are legitimately good. Um, and so then, yeah. So then uh, the, 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 the cat is out of the bag. He turns around or, no, he sees the flyer. He realizes Donna is Abby. He turns around. He says, "It was you." Like, yes, it was you. Jesus Christ! And then Uma Thurman says hi, and then it's like, "Oh, it was all a joke." And Janine's like, "No, it wasn't a joke. That's just digging us deeper into the hole." And then he's mumbling and he's bumbling, and <laughs> uh, uh, and so basically he dumps her, and you know, he says, "You're just dumb and beautiful, and you're smart and." Mm, it doesn't say ugly, but that's kind of implied. And then well, that's, she runs
0: Roy called him. her an ugly bitch earlier. So yeah.
1: And then she runs after him. Why does she run after him? Oh my God. So then Noel and Abby are on the beach and this is the best thing of the movie where, yeah. where, where Abby gives her the piece of paper and says, I, I even though we've been through all this craziness I still like you and I think you should give the shot at the radio station a job and I, and she basically says I still think we have potential to be friends and we have good chemistry and we should we should go out together I like you is what the movie they should, should be have together done. and then we should uma be together says, and then uma Thurman says Uh, You, you should give it one more shot. And this is where the movie just becomes a dumpster fire. Because no, Uma Thurman should not be saying to Janine Garofalo, go out with this weirdo, creepy guy. Uma Thurman should be saying, I like you. We're on the sunset. We're at the beach. We're together. It's romantic. They need to start kissing at this point. (laughs) Because, I would have loved that. That would have
0: been great.
1: That's clearly where this movie wants to go, or where I would say most of the audience wants this movie to go. Uh, but instead, I
0: wonder if that's what happened in the original.
1: Maybe. I doubt she it, she
0: but, wasn't, but she wasn't supposed to end up with Brian. That's right. what Janine Garofalo said.
1: Yes, and so she goes to the cafe, apologizes to him, and then he tells her off. And then, you know, it's just, he's a total asshole. He, he, I, you totally get where he's coming from. But to me, he uses this moment to twist the knife. He doesn't use this moment to address the wound instead of twisting the knife. He could say, listen, I get it, but I'm not interested. You hurt me. I can't go down that road again. Instead. He goes like, "Uh, well, you know, she basically says, listen, I was uncomfortable. I was vulnerable. I was insecure. She's opening up to him. And then he goes, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, I guess we'll never know now. So he basically says, fuck you to her. So he gives her the cold shoulder. And then later he goes, who would have known? The dog would have known because he likes the shoe. So then we have this whole roller skate bit, which is, again, completely unnecessary, unnecessary. And then what
0: if he has a roller skate fetish? Because he keeps, the shoes and the skates keep popping up.
1: Could be. And then he get he gives the super, super crappy romantic parody line of the only woman I ever loved. I don't want to lose her twice. Da, da, da. And then they have this stupid bit about I'm pregnant. And he goes, darling. And then he's like, are you sure it's with me? And she's like, I don't know. I made a lot of phone calls that night. And it's like supposed to be cute. But it's just, it just oh, at this point, I'm thinking, no, Uma and Janine together forever. Get this guy out of my movie. I don't ever want to see him again. I don't know, man. I just... I I liked Uma. I liked Janine. I did not like this guy. But the movie was a lot of fun because I had a blast hating on him. And I had a genuinely fun time hanging out with Abby and Noelle.
0: Right. Again, I just... <laughs> it's so clear that they were the real romance. And I, I just... It makes me mad, like, and you see it even in the story beats because Brian sends a picture of his dog. It's very narcissistic. Yes. You know what Noel does? Noel goes out and buys a new. Um, what am I? She buys a new violin bow, yeah. and when because I my partner is a when violinist.
1: She researched. She researched. Well, yeah, researched that's what I
0: was. That's what I was gonna say. First of all, it's very unrealistic in movies for a violinist to use their bow as a weapon. But then immediately they reference that in the next scene because Uma says, "I know bows are really, really expensive, yeah. and I know that him breaking your bow was a huge deal." It which was great. Th- which I mean, uh, holy shit! And she and she got her. Not a inexpensive
1: bow. Bo. She got a good bow. She got a Toyota. She got a not Toyota. Great, not bad. And she says, I'll get you a Mercedes bow sometime down the future. Oh, I mean, like, what the hell? Is she just- going to
0: get her a Stradivarius at some point? Because it, it's just, I mean, the thoughtfulness that went into this, her groveling, the fact that she straight up says, I'd fuck you. And it's yeah. not a cutesy... You know the way that girls talk to each other, and sometimes like, oh, you're so hot. He he. Right. No, it was completely straight. No pun intended. Um, she she just said that. So I I just I don't understand why would you give Noel all these good moments, and also give um, uh, what is it, Abby? Moments where she acts heroically. In Noel's defense, if they're not meant to be together,
1: I I know that we're going. I know that we spent a lot of time on the. Oh yeah, the we recap did for this. But the one thing I will say to wrap up my thoughts on this are: I recently, during my last anime binge, I watched this movie called Jinro, the Wolf Brigade, which is about Japanese spies. And I thought it was about werewolves, but it's completely not. Uh, there's zero
0: werewolves too
1: yeah there's zero werewolves in the movie the wolf brigade is the name of the secret ops agency whatever and so I just I felt so weird because the whole time I was thinking this movie's not bad but one of the things we talked about in our anime episode was why were these movies animated and you can go back to listen to that episode to hear why we talked about what anime does well Over live action, and why those two movies specifically worked as animes. The whole time I kept thinking, why is Jinro an anime? And then I found out on Wikipedia that Jinro the Wolf Brigade is the third in a loosely connected trilogy, and the first two were live action. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And the whole time I was watching this movie, I was thinking, this was probably a really good script. And it fell apart once Once producers or once Hollywood got a hold of it and it became a rom, instead of becoming an indie rom-com, it became a rom-com TM. And I'm sure the script was good because there's lots of likable things in this movie. I don't know if they end up together at the end, uh, Janine and Uma, but yes, I when I read that on Wikipedia that Janine said it was a totally different vibe and they didn't end up together in the end, I thought, wow. That makes a hundred percent sense because I think through our discussion, you can see this movie has a lot going for it, but something got lost in translation.
0: I think I couldn't have put it better myself. So I have to ask, although I already suspect (laughs) the answer, who would you kill from this movie?
1: Yeah, Brian, I think I've said it before. A lot of the movies that I end up ultimately coming out negative on, are movies where the main lead romantic role is the one that I would like to kill,
0: or when it's extremely whimsical.
1: Well, I I would like to kill Amelie. That's
0: oh oh wait that that <laughs> applies that tracks.
1: Right. That might have been the first one where I realized it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. I I thought that this movie really leaned itself well. I, I, while. Madison and Marissa had good rom-com vibes in a horror movie. I thought the romantic relationship had a lot of good horror vibes in this rom-com. So I enjoyed turning this into a horror movie, but as the reigning rom-com expert, I'm curious to know how your take handles the, the transition. <laughs>
0: Well, before I I dig into it, I just want to say that as far as who I'd kill, even though I find Brian pretty offensive, I cannot stand any man who has the audacity to call his girlfriend a bitch at any point or in front of people. I've had the misfortune of seeing a guy call his girlfriend a bitch right in front of me, and I wish that I had made a fuss about it at the time because it made me extremely angry. Uh, and no woman deserves that from her partner. So Roy, kill that guy. No, yeah, that's a good point. Him. He's an awful, awful man. I Even remember, though Brian is a
1: creep too. For sure. I remember I worked, uh, when I was working once as a customer service person, it was at a movie theater. This couple came up and he started basically verbally humiliating her and like he tried to play it off in a quirky way like oh you're so dumb but he he sounded mean and he sounded like it just rattled off of his tongue like this is something he does regularly and so then he looks at me like oh women right and I like I couldn't say anything I probably wouldn't have anyway I'm the beta hero of these rom-coms I'm the bumbling hero but I just remember like giving him a look like no, not impressive. I'm not, I'm not on your side, dude. We are guys, bro code. Sure, but no, you just look like a total jerk. I don't know why she's with you. If that's, I feel bad for her, and she probably has her reasons for being with him. But she, I'm sure she was aware of it. So, right, yeah. humiliating your why? Why would you humiliate the person you're with? Well, if you don't want to be with him, don't be with him. <laughs>
0: Shame.
1: So
0: well, I I agree with you a thousand percent. Now on to the um the horror. I really fixated on the roller skates. Okay. The fact that Brian is really into the roller skates and the footwear. So I decided to call my movie Paraphilia. Ooh, yeah, it's uh, it's the kind of thing that Ari Aster would write. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, I, I, I didn't make it as violent as it could have been. So maybe you sure. can, pro- you can play producer for me, and you can punch up the violence. Um, so Abby, she's a successful radio host of a call-in show for pet owners. Uh, And then just like in the actual movie, she gets a call from a photographer who has put roller skates on a dog for some inexplicable reason. And then he assists him in calming the dog down so he can take them off. And then later that day, the man calls Abby and asks what she looks like. Uh, And then she describes uh, the picture of her attractive blonde neighbor Uh, and the man asks if she and Abby, if he and Abby can meet, but she declines because in this version, Abby isn't, I mean, I'm not saying that she's being an asshole by telling them that, that they're going to meet and then standing him up, but it's irresponsible. Uh, so she declines. Uh, and then meanwhile, we have Ed, who in this version, I made a homicide detective because Jamie Foxx isn't anyone's second fiddle. I mean, it's it's criminal to me. just as it was criminal to me that Justina Machado is just the serial killer's wife in the call. It's criminal to me that Jamie Foxx is just the best friend in this movie when he can act circles around Brian um <clears throat> but so Ed is a homicide detective he's investigating a crime scene the victim is a blonde woman wearing roller skates and then the murder is the latest in a series of rollers with, a, with in a series where roller skates is the common signature and of course um at this point we'd have a scene where Ed meets with the expert a profiler who describes the perp's paraphilia for roller skates Um, So maybe we could cut it up with some scenes of the maybe you don't see the perpetrator, but you see him making the roller skates and being super creepy, you know, doing some of the stuff that the serial killer in The Call did where he wasn't, you know, killing people, but he was still being gross and weird.
1: I also like the idea of him going to a roller skate expert, maybe someone who is like. John McEnroe is to tennis like he used to play tennis but now he commentates well derby
0: they... girls you know roller derby girls right? it's an extreme sport and they're really tough yeah. so <laughs> maybe him going to a skate store and dealing right. with these roller girl punks I I think that would be really fun <laughs> um and then on the on the flip side a story Abby she goes to her apartment She sees her neighbor, Noel, fighting with her abusive boyfriend, Roy. Abby decides to break it up, and then Roy breaks her violin bow. I I kept this scene because in my movie, Noel and Abby's chemistry is not subtext. Um, So Noel kind of falls for Abby at this point, and they become friendly, uh, and Noel gives Abby a bouquet of flowers. Uh, That was addressed to her, but that was on her doorstep by mistake. Uh, And then Abby also tells Noelle about the collar and admits that she described Noelle, but she also admits to Noelle that she has Noelle's picture in her cubicle. How do you explain this, Abby? It's not like you just saw your neighbor in the article. You took that picture out and you posted it on your cubicle so you could look at it all the time. That's not friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something more. Um, but clearly, for Noel, this is this is a, this is a signal. Um and then Abby of course is like oh I think you're prettier than me and Noelle's like no I'd fuck you but Abby doesn't get that she's serious she's really bad right. at reading like we'll, we'll say that Abby is just one of those people who doesn't understand when people are attracted to her
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is definitely a type Um so Abby
1: <clears throat> is much like a Brett
0: oh so that's your problem too you don't know that when people are attracted to you until they're literally saying I'm attracted to you
1: a hundred percent, a hundred percent.
0: I think that's fair. I'm, I'm a pretty similar type, but it's even if I suspect I'm just too nervous to act. And then I disarm people with my kindness. Um, but, the next day, Noelle goes to the studio with a new violin bow, just like she did before, and the ladies bond, and then unseen, a figure watches Noelle. Uh, and then that night, Abby gets a call from the photographer asking if she liked the flowers, and of course, Abby's thinking this guy is being really presumptuous, but... Maybe he's really flirty too, and they get a banter going, and they end up talking all night, and she has phone sex with him. Meanwhile, Roy breaks up with Noel because he finds a pair of roller skates with the note "Wear these" on her doorstep, and assumes that it's some other guy. Um, and then Noel knows that the skates are clearly for Abby, um, and that they're probably from the caller. Uh, however, when Abby admits about the phone sex, Noelle gets jealous and decides to keep the skates. So again, we see the perspective of the stalker peeping in on Noelle and taking photos with a zoom lens. A She-Ra classic. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Abby tells Noelle that she's decided she wants to meet Brian, um, but Noelle does not like this at all. um, And she tries to convince Abby not to go through with it by getting her drunk and watching her eat cake uh, because Noelle doesn't eat anything. Uh, And then at one point, Abby finally gets Noelle to eat cake, and then they share a kiss, but then Abby is confused uh, and Noelle confesses that she likes her, but that she gets it if she needs to see Brian to make a choice. You know, she doesn't know who she really likes. So Noelle does not trust the situation. And that's when our A story meets our B story. And she calls up her friend, Ed, the homicide detective. Mm. I think that there could be a more elegant way to join our stories. Like maybe Ed finds his way to the radio station through another means or he sees that the skate shop delivered roller skates to noel and he goes to noel's residence to question her um maybe but-
1: maybe she's reading stuff on the radio and then there's a breaking news and she has to read a tidbit about a, a new murder or something and then it says if you have any information call this police detective and she's thinking i should call him right so something yeah it
0: it, there's a more elegant solution than just making ed and noel friends but when i was writing this Mm -hmm. uh i just i was like yeah whatever they're friends um but clearly it, clearly, I would be more sophisticated than this. Um, but so Noelle starts to describe the situation and Brian called about how Brian called in. And then Ed is like, back up. Did you say roller skates? Uh, and he tells her about the roller skate killings. Noelle shows him the roller skate she hid from Abby. The materials match or something like that. Uh, and then Noel and Ed race to catch up with Abby, meeting with Brian so they can save her. They go to Brian's apartment, but they only find Brian's creepy assistant there. Mm. Uh, and then they find Brian at a shoot on location, but then there's no Abby. And it turns out that Brian has no idea what they're talking about. Mm. That's right. Not only did Abby pretend that she looked like Noel, there was a double catfish. And Brian's creepy assistant pretended to be him. So they realize at that moment that they would already talked to the killer, you know, but now they have to go back. Um, and at this point, maybe they find the murder bunker similar to the call where um, nobody's in the apartment, but then they open the hatch and there's the basement and they see Abby struggling with him as he's trying to put roller skates on her and he saved the day and Abby skates into Noelle's arms and hugs her and the, the killer is caught.
1: Very nice. Um, yeah, I think, Oh boy. I think our movies are going to (laughs) be kind of similar in a lot of ways, but my movie Oh boy, my movie goes into some crazy territory. I like Crazy Town. All right, um, let's hear but, it. But yours does have a sort of Giallo esque, you know, stalker hiding out, a, a stalker with uh, a, a a mystery stalker with a very specific kind of MO is is very jollo so
0: he loves roller skates yeah. and i actually was going to make the killer brian but then at the last minute i thought well of course
1: you have to have a reversal well we might we might see a little bit of that <laughs> going on here um so in, in my uh, other movie i made the characters older but in this movie i'm going to make them younger because my very thought was if you're going to catfish someone, you're going to probably do it on an app, like a Tinder type thing. So I have Abby. Abby, who's very motivated, very busy. She's in college. She's, she's in a sorority. So she stays in a room with her sister, who is Noel, who is more of the fun and flirty type. Noel is kind of an airhead. But she's not like an airhead, airhead. She's just out to have a lot of fun because she comes from a super rich family. So she already has a job post-college. She doesn't need to get good grades. She doesn't she's just there to party before she goes off and has a, a real job. That's already kind of a cakewalk. So um so I kind of want to make Noelle unlikable, but not a total scumbag. Uh, And so one day while Abby is getting ready, also, there might be a little bit of serial killer stuff going on in the background, like a news report, maybe the third girl has gone missing or something. And so they they caution college age girls to not meet up with strangers and stuff like that. And so then one day while Abby is getting ready, she's all over the place. She's in the bathroom. She's over in the closet. She changes her hairstyle. So she changes her clothes or something to just keep her going back and forth and very frantic. Maybe she's got an interview or something very soon. And while she's doing that, the phone dings on her bed and Noel is right there. And so she checks the phone and it's a message on Tinder. And then Abby says, I thought I deleted Tinder. I got rid of it because there's a serial killer on the loose, so I'm not meeting up with any strange men anytime soon. And Noelle is like, ooh, Tinder, I'm going to flirt with him. And Abby's like, no, just blow him off and tell him I'm not interested. However, Noelle flirts with him and leaves him sexy messages and stuff like that. Ooh. Ooh. And so then Abby takes the phone in a snatch or whatever she goes, she... She grabs the phone quickly, runs out of the house. Maybe she goes to the station, does her show, does her interview, whatever. And then the guy from Tinder shows up and hears Abby, and he thinks Abby is is looks like Noel because on her profile, I don't know how Tinder works all the time, but on Tinder you can have a profile that's not you, right? You can have it be like a picture of your cat or something. Right? Or maybe I, she, I
0: have no idea. I don't know.
1: Maybe there's like a group photo and, and Abby's in the group photo, but Noelle took a picture of herself to send to this Tinder guy because Noelle's just goofing around. So then the man shows up and he's, oh, and also Noelle is blonde, Abby is brunette. So the man shows up and he's, you know, he shows up in the parking lot and then he's like, wait a you know, he's really creepy and he's like coming on to her and he's like, wait a minute. You said you would be here. You, you said this, you said that, but you lied to me. You, and she's like, I never lied to you. What are you talking about? And then she puts two plus two together. She goes, Oh, you must've been thinking about my friend, Noel. She must've just been goofing around with you. Sorry. This is a big misunderstanding. I think this is a, uh, this is kind of a, a mistake. And then he turns on the charm and he goes, I don't believe in mistakes. And then she goes, goes, no, no, no. It was just a prank. And then he goes, it's okay. I've got a sense of humor. And so then it's like, Ooh, they start to connect and there's a real spark. So she invites him out. She's like, listen, I'm really busy, but I've got to go, you know, she she's got to do something, but she's like, I got to go study. Why don't you come with me and we can grab a coffee and just chill or, you know, we can talk for a bit, but then I got to go so she goes they go to a coffee place they get a drink they chill they start to connect it's very sexy it's very flirty it's very fun and they end up spending the whole night together and maybe they go on a long walk they come back to her house and she's like no 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 i shouldn't let you in the house this is a bad idea but there's so much sexual tension that of course they fuck and then she goes to take a shower. And while she's in the shower, Noel comes into the room drunk and walks in on this guy, this Tinder date who's like shirtless and in Abby's bed. And then she's like, oops, sorry. And it's that sort of awkward college, like walking, like she's like, oh, we're supposed to put a sock on the doorknob if something like this happens. So it's like quirky and funny and silly and awkward, but it's in a light romantic tone. But then the Tinder date stands up and says, you must be the blonde. Whoa. And then it gets super creepy, right? And so then you're like, whoa. So uh, my notes are a little crazy here. but basically uh Abby comes out of the room and there's a murder scene in her room. and Noel has been scalped. So there's yeah. definitely there's definitely <laughs> lots of the call vibes in my remix as well because we've got a killer who's obsessed with blonde, young blonde women. So he scalps her. So Abby calls the cops, they check Is she out. dead. Um, Noel, yeah, he's dead. Okay. Oh, she's super dead. Because it's a horror movie, so I'm going to go with The Kill. Um, and you don't see The Kill, but you see the very bloody aftermath. So then they check the app, and it turns out the app is the wrong guy. Like, totally the wrong guy. And it turns out this guy hacked He was this... catfishing. Yes, just like yours. I have a double catfish. So a double mistaken identity. So this guy hacked this other guy's app. So now we have a serial killer out on the loose and Abby knows what he looks like, but no one else does. And you know, like the cops don't treat it seriously. However, we've got to get to that point where the cops are either idiots or corrupt or whatever it is. So now we're going to go on a scene where Abby starts to set up a fake person and she's going to try to entrap the killer so she can get revenge. Right. And then this, is where the movie kind of takes a left turn. And then we go to the home of the killer and he's got a wife and daughter and he's a very family (gasps) man, family friendly guy. Of course. And he lives like an hour outside of the college town. He just goes there to kill and then goes back to his house. So it's, you know, some of these serial killers live a double life where their wife is. BTK. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. And so then this whole time, he's very disciplined, right? So he's not an impulsive killer. He's a killer who's very, very disciplined. Um, And this whole time he's checking his app, but anytime there's a blonde flirty girl who just seems very eager to meet up, he doesn't meet up with them. Because then we later learn that all of these women approaching him are really Abby (gasps) faking being a blonde, but he's too smart for her, right? So then we get a montage of like six months later, there's six more murders. Abby's getting more desperate. This guy's getting more bloodthirsty and he's, his, his, his room of scalps is growing and stuff like that. And so then uh, Abby's not in class. She's not in her room. She's not at the radio station. She has completely disappeared. And all the teachers and principal and students and whatever are assuming that after this traumatic experience, she just left and went home. Right. So they're not, they're like, eh, she probably just left. They're not going to research it further. So then the guy gets a call or he sees a, an ad in a rate in a local newspaper that the college is holding a beauty pageant. And they're looking for a local person. They're going to have a celebrity judge and a school judge, but they're also looking for a local person to be a judge to judge all these beautiful ladies, most of whom will probably have blonde hair. So he applies to be a local judge. And then he gets a call saying, Hey, we want to interview you. You're one of the finalists to be part of this thing. We just got to cross our T's and dot our I's. So he goes to meet up. Uh, At some business office, and he's in the interview with this nice young lady, and she's very charming, and he's very smooth and very funny. And they start to flirt, and she's like, Oh, you know, I've got a couple other applicants, but pretty much uh, I'm gonna pick you. Uh, Let me go get some of the paperwork so we can get it started. Just don't tell anyone I've made my final decision yet. And he's like, Of course. He's very suave. So she leaves the room. She comes back, and then he is tased, and he blacks out, (gasps) and then we wake up in the basement and it's Abby with the guy like chained to a thing or something. And it turns out she used her sorority sisters and her sorority connections to put on this pageant. Yeah. She put on this fake pageant and the guy who or the lady who interviewed him was just one of her sisters and stuff like that. And then this is where the movie I, I run out of gas because this is where I just go into crazy territory. And my thinking is, the way he scalps women is because the the reason why is like he's so afraid of being scalped and cut open with a knife that it turns him on to have that control over other people so as a result in the basement abby skins him alive and then he's like the end of martyrs where he's or like um hellraiser hellraiser 2 where he's like skinless but he's still a monster and you know kind of texas chainsaw 2 vibes gotta Um, love
0: all of those and
1: so then he pulls his hand out of his shackle because now he doesn't have the skin to whatever and then him and abby have a fight And then she runs upstairs, and he runs upstairs, and then it's like there's some party. Maybe it's his daughter's birthday party or something, but he runs out into the party, this completely disgusting, gross man who's totally skinless. And then they're all like, what? And they all freak out and panic, and then him and Abby continue to fight, and she kills him. And that's the end. I think that's awesome. I especially
0: like the idea of him coming out into the scene of a birthday party. Right. And having some gags around. Maybe he scares the pony or the yeah. clown makes a face. <laughs> you know, you could you could do all sorts of crazy stuff.
1: Yeah. So, um I definitely put more details into the horror movie because it was fun to do like the double reverse mistaken identity. Um, yeah, I thought that was pretty obvious that that was going to be the most fun route. So I'm not surprised yours also included that. Yeah,
0: why not? Why, why not have have double the fun? I mean, yeah. I I I feel strongly that you don't need to Cyrano and false identity in the same movie, but false identity on top of false identity is a ton of fun.
1: I completely agree.
0: So, what do you got for us in terms of love bites?
1: Uh, do you want to do the pluggy plugs first?
0: Oh yeah, let's 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 keep house before we give you our sweet sweet recommendations. We are on Instagram as The Necromancer Podcast.
1: We're on Facebook and Twitter as the Necromancer Pod.
0: I think it's just Necromancer Pod. And you can email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, feel free to leave reviews, to leave recommendations, to do all that stuff that increases visibility. Yes, if
0: you you don't remember this movie, then you can re-remember it (laughs) with us. Uh all right. Shall we shall we recommend some love bites?
1: Uh yes, definitely. I forgot what my love bite is. Do you want to go first?
0: Okay, I'll go first then. Sure. So, in classic me fashion, I've got a couple. Uh the first one is in line with our theme. Uh I think one of the best comedies about dogs ever made is a little movie called Best in Show.
1: Oh. Yeah. It
0: is a mockumentary <laughs> that follows people competing in a Westminster dog show type competition. Uh and it is hilarious. Catherine O'Hara's in it. Um Eugene Levy is in it. Uh it it is an unforgettable hilarious film about dogs and if you haven't seen it watch it if you've seen it watch it again it holds up uh and then my second uh recommendation is specifically for my female anime fans now i know i complained in the anime episode about gatekeeping and that is exactly what i'm doing with this recommendation. It's not for you, Brett. It's not at all for you. But uh, I watched this anime called um, My Next Life as a Villainess, and I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. And I thought, much like how you say Rango has a a hyper-specific audience in mind.
1: What's up with you and Rango? (laughs) Why are you always bringing up Rango? Every episode, Cheers, talking about Rango. Hashtag Rango conspiracy.
0: There is a Rango conspiracy, and it was started by Brett. Um, Yeah, we had a
1: whole movie about a lizard, and never once did I mention Rango. I thought I I had to remember to do it, but then I forgot.
0: You held it in. You You held. You were very graceful under pressure. (laughs) But I feel like this show was created specifically for me. So right now in anime, a a really popular setup is uh, what they call, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but isekai, where... The main character dies, and then they're reborn in another world. And this is the latest spin on that subcategory, except the idea is the heroine dies, and then she's reborn in a dating simulator as the villainess in the dating sim. So having played the game, she now has to avoid... The endings where her character gets killed Mm. and the unintended consequences of her trying to avoid these bad endings where her character gets killed or exiled is that everybody in the world basically falls in love with her because she treats everyone equally. And so they all equally have a chance of falling in love with her. And so it's like one of the most aggressively bisexual shows I've ever watched, uh, which I, I just enjoy. Um, Another thing that makes it rom-com crack for me is that, It has this focus on female friendships because she has this friend who's the person who introduced her to the game and then stuff happens in the series that calls back to that female friendship. Also, you know me, Brett, I'm always talking about the different um, male protagonist types between Mm -hmm. Alpha. We talked a lot about beta heroes. You have your grumpy ones. You have your uber competent types. All of the hero types are represented. Uh, so it's just every every single type of hero that you you could want, even the villain, um, which is also a character that y- you got a romance. Um, so if you were raised on this stuff, if you have seen these kind of animes before, and you you get what they're parroting. It's so funny.
1: Sounds good. I never I think the closest I would have ever come to that is I played a little bit of Doki Doki Literature Club. Did you ever oh play yeah, that?
0: that's a that's like a visual novel game. Right. Um I, I haven't gotten as much into those. I mean, I've I've played a few dating sims and and of course I read a lot of shoujo comics and and stuff like that oh another thing the person or the heroine in this anime does that i love is she never stops eating desserts which Mm -hmm. i relate to and she reads a shit ton of romance novels so it's just it, it really checks all the boxes for me i
1: gotcha i gotcha um yeah that's interesting i um I I have a little bit of a road to get to, to my, to my recommendation, but I recently watched Hamilton uh, as it, as it's very popular right now and it's all about Hamilton and there's George Washington in it. Wait,
0: Hamilton's about Hamilton?
1: Surprisingly enough. Um, And so one of my favorite George Washington things is the Brad Neely, Washington song about the com it's like the animated one, and it's very, very, very silly, very, very funny. It's exactly the kind of adult swim type humor that really hit that spot when it became a thing on the internet. The George Washington thing. It was passed on Love by Word of Brad Mouth. Brad Neely. So great. And so I I rewatched that. I re-watched the George Washington song. And then I would say 90% of the time we watch a sitcom while Sonia and I, when we sit down for TV or after work, and I just want to relax and we just put on something on the television. Anytime we put on a mindless sitcom, 90% of the time it's one of her choosing. So finally, recently, I put my foot down and I said, We're going to watch a show that I want to watch. And by me putting my foot down, I basically said, Can we please watch a show that I want to watch? And Sonia said, Okay. Um, And I picked China, Illinois, which is the Brad Neely adult swim show about a community type college that just has mega hijinks and scenarios start crazy and end at an exponentially even crazier place. They take simple gimmicks and they twist them into this weird sense of humor and just it's creepy it's gross it's funny it's silly it's it's so many things all at once and yeah sonia digs it she she has asked to watch it a few more times it's it's a legit great sitcom but i do think like if you watch one or two episodes and it's not for you it's not going to get any better it's just going to get 10 times weirder
0: I I need to check it out because I like Brad Neely's other show, Brad Neely's Heart, Nolan, um Sclopio Pipio. Yeah. I I can't I, I can't remember the actual title of the show mm-hmm. because it's so weird. Um, but yeah, that definitely sounds right up my alley.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's the perfect late night. I'm gonna go to bed. Let me put on something weird to watch uh and then like you don't want to watch too many of them at once because then they just all blend together so you want it's like a fine wine you know you want to maybe one or two a night settle down take a sip of china illinois and ooh, what a show
0: sounds like a good plan
1: yeah um but that's it that's all i got for for love bite
0: all right well then that's all we have for today Meow.